Ready? Born ready. Welcome back. It's another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Saba Long. We're changing it up a little bit today in the studio. A very special guest, Nancy Flake Johnson from the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Welcome, Nancy. Wow. Thank you, Saba. Happy to be here. Nancy, I know a lot about the Urban League, but everyone else may not know a lot, but they should. So... Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, who you are, your role at the Urban League. Okay, so Urban League of Greater Atlanta is part of a national movement. Uh, We began as a movement in 1910 in New York City. Uh, We represent really uh, an interracial uh, coming together of three organizations that were really all Uh, created to support Black families that were migrating in great numbers toward Northern communities uh, looking for economic opportunity. It was the middle of the Industrial Revolution and word spread throughout the South where things were bad. Black folks, many were um, sharecropping, farming, barely eking out in existence, not to mention the violence and Uh, lynchings and racial discrimination on steroids. And so any the opportunity for a better life, uh, really just that, that concept spread across the South and families started packing up. It really wasn't to our knowledge, an organized movement, but families just started packing and going North. And in New York city, um, a Caucasian woman named, uh, Ruth Standish and an uh, African-American man, George Haynes, uh, connected, and they created what we now know as the National Urban League. And we're here to support Black families to connect with everything they need to live a quality life and to fight for a parity and equity and economic access. And so we focus on really kind of five key things. Um, The ability to earn a living. Everything falls apart from there. If You don't have enough money coming in your household. Things are going to be tough. Uh, So to support that, we're big on education. And um, next, you got to have a place to live. So access to affordable housing, home ownership. Uh, Another way to earn is through entrepreneurship. So we've, you know, really become big in that in the last 20, 25 years, really under Mark Morial's leadership and, uh, of course, health, civic engagement and social justice. It's it's a big agenda, but it's a very interconnected agenda because you can't have quality health without a good job and you can't um, gain access to things without civic engagement. So it's all interconnected. We're one of 92 affiliates across the nation. We're in 36 states in the District of Columbia. And um, we all have the unique structure of being connected to one another through the National Urban League as affiliates, but we each have our own independent boards 
and we can serve our communities in the way we see fit. And you have been the CEO for how long? I will make 15 years. Wow. wow. As the CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta, July 1st of 2023. And what made you come into that role? What made you say, I want to do this, despite how difficult the job is, <laughs> why the Urban League? Well, I I really have feel that God guided me to the league. Um, I was approaching a milestone birthday at the time, and I was going through some soul searching. What, you know, if I was... If I'm blessed with good health, I was more than halfway through. And what did I want my life to stand for? I'd always worked in capacities that had impact on Black businesses or Black lives, but um, I just decided I would, I wanted to do more. So I started sharing that concept and ideas I had for how we could make the Black community better and a friend, uh, Ricky Clemens, uh, who was based in D.C., well, based in New York at the time, he said, I work for the National Urban League, Nancy. It sounds like this is where you ought to be. Are you familiar with the? I was living in Detroit at the time, the Detroit Urban League. And I said, you know, I've heard of it, but not really familiar. He said, I'm going to hook you up with the CEO. He said, I actually think he might retire soon, mm. you know, but just go check it out. So I did. and. Um, I met with him. I asked for 30 minutes of his time. Two hours later, he shared with me the vice president of programs position description. He said, I don't know if you're looking for a job or not. I really wasn't. I was self-employed then. Um, but I took it home and it felt like home. And so I took that role. And that's how I got into the movement in the first place. Then um, I actually um, uh, realized that I was going to get a divorce. And um, Mr. Uh, the, the CEO of the Detroit Urban League and Charles Anderson would always send around notices when any affiliate CEO role came open. And the one for Atlanta came across my desk and I just had this wow feeling. I wasn't looking for it, but I, I said, hmm, maybe that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And so the rest is history. Got it. New job, new city, yes. all of that. Yep. I, I new start. Right. There you go. <laughs> so I wanted you to come on the show to talk. We talk a lot on the show about politics, about the Republicans, Democrats, independents, everything in between. And the economy is certainly part of that conversation. And you all just released a new report that has some fascinating stats and information in it. And I don't know if enough folks have looked at it, but I'm hoping that this podcast is an opportunity for them to access it Yes, in just a way that might be a little bit more palatable than 124 pages, right? <laughs> yes. The TLDR version is will be the podcast. Uh, so the report is called A Tale of Two States, The State of Black Georgia. What prompted you all to create this report? So uh, starting in 1976, um, the National Urban League uh, began publishing the State of Black America report. And uh, Vernon Jordan began that process. And, you know, of course, he's a native Atlantan and he was the fifth president of the National Urban League. And he was watching a State of the Union address by President Ford that year. And not one word was spoken about the conditions impacting black people in this country. 
He said, well, we've got to tell our own story. And so last year, uh, Mark Morial decided to release the state of Black America here in Atlanta. And it just hit me like a brick. Um, and of course, uh, John Moy on our team, our director of policy and legislative affairs, he and I kind of had the same concept. And uh, we said, we got to do it right here at home. And so that's what really prompted it. I'm going to read some of the initial stats um, and then we can go into additional questions. A few. Uh, the first is probably the one of the most staggering. The median wealth of black people will fall to zero by 2053 if no action is taken. That's one. Another stat. Only 36% of black students in Georgia are reading at a third grade level. Yes, that's as of 2021. And yeah. so let's think about what the converse of that means. Right. 64% of black children are not reading at the third grade level. And quite frankly, 43% uh, of white students are not reading at fourth grade level either. Right. So what does that say about our public school system in Georgia? Right. A few more stats. 50% 50, 50 of detainees in the Georgia corrections are black, despite only being 32% of the state population. Mm -hmm. That's one that I think we all have heard about, but just, again, seeing it was That's another. That's new detainees. Right. 54% mm -hmm. um, of infant deaths are black. And then we talked about housing. Only 15% of black households are owner occupied. So those are just some of the initial stats in the 120 something page report. We'll take some time now to go a little bit in depth. Um, in the report that you all, I believe you all surveyed people and asked, I want to make sure I understand this, the five most important issues. How did you get to those? To those? So what we did, um, we decided to approach the report uh, from two ways, a quantitative analysis, and we engaged uh, the African-American-owned firm APD Urban to gather data for us, straight stats, mostly Census Bureau information. But we also wanted to hear directly from Black Georgians across the state. So we literally traveled to six different regions and conducted what we called community listening sessions. And the way we did it, um, Ed Smith it was our uh, principal investigator, and he came up with questions around our five key areas, education, economics, health, civic engagement, and social justice. And we had everyone go to a website where all could put their responses in, and we posted them on a screen so everybody could see in real time their answers. And then we asked each group at the end to rank those five areas, what they felt was most important to their region or their city. And then we compiled all of that into one composite uh, um, ranking. Mm -hmm. And so what uh, the conglomerate of people we talked to felt that economics was number one. Right. And in the report, it's highlighted as economy, housing, and transportation all in one category. Mm -hmm. So the of the five issues, the ranking was economy first. Yes. Then education, then social justice, then health, and then last was civic engagement. 
Yes. So that leads me to ask, when you look at this list of most important issues, social justice and civic engagement are three and five. Mm-hmm. In the public sphere, whether it's the media, whether it's other entities, most of the conversation centers around social justice and civic engagement, not around economy, housing, transportation. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I re- I seriously regret that from a people perspective, they rank civic engagement last. And what that tells me is we have a lot of work to do to educate our community on how the country works. It's a country of laws, laws that are developed by elected officials, and they make the rules. And so I think there's uh, that's telling that a lot of people really are not clear of the power and the importance of the vote. Um, I think economics are first in, in the rankings because particularly after COVID, when so many Black families, we were already ranking in the bottom across, but COVID just threw millions more Black families into total instability. And even now, uh, we are really in the midst of massive homelessness. It's very quiet. Nobody's talking about it much, but the Urban League sees it every day because one of the things we did during COVID we intentionally got in the emergency assistance business. And I'm grateful that Fulton County, DeKalb County, City of Atlanta, um, um, Cobb County, Gwinnett have uh, trusted us with resources to keep families in their homes and help them get through this. But at the end of the day, um, without the proper skills in this new economy, And with the escalation of housing costs and food due to inflation, if you aren't making a livable wage, you're done. It's a struggle. It affects mental health. It drives people to do things they wouldn't do. It's fueling our mass incarceration problem. So (laughs) our, our goal with this report is to use it as a tool to go back out across the state and educate our folks to where things are. You got to know where you're starting to move forward and to re-educate them on the power and importance of their vote and encourage them to take their own power back and get some of this education that's available so they can live a good life. So what were the six cities or regions that you were in? We went to Atlanta, Albany, Augusta, Columbus, Macon, and Savannah. And what has been the reaction so far to the report? Everywhere we went, um, they welcomed our presence. Uh, Many of them knew, know the legacy of the Urban League, but many didn't. But, you know, we always started with who we are and what we do. Um, Just by God's divine order, uh, in 2020, we adopted a new way of doing our work. We adopted the LISC model, Local Initiative Support Corporation's Integrated Economic Mobility Model. And so we would start every meeting just sharing 
you know, we're here to make sure families are stable, their household incomes go up. We teach people how to manage money uh, and build wealth and to become civically engaged. And they all, that resonated with everyone because in the end, everybody's suffering with the same issues. So we were welcomed. Um, what we were impressed with was how sharp our leaders are across the state. They know their problems. They're working together, but they're fighting this uphill battle of limited resources, no power. In what one of the biggest things I learned, I did not understand how many communities have been consolidated. What do you mean by that? What I mean is it's cities that are predominantly black have been merged into their counties, taking away political power, economic power. So where they were majority in the city, now as part of the bigger county, the population is less than 50%. And so they have no power over investments and same thing all over again. And um, in several communities, they were, the leaders were sold on the concept based on that more economic development would occur and better conditions would result and the promises haven't been kept. And so that's one of the big things that I think I've learned and that I've heard and that we learned along the way. Uh, question on the, uh, consolidation. Consoli uh, consolidation. Is that also what is kind of happening with the HBCU in Savannah? Uh, they're trying to merge like the schools as well. Oh, is that part of the that wasn't part of it, okay. but that's yet another, I believe that's another tactic to dilute our power, our access to education in a way that would have a greater impact on our community. Yeah. So you think about when you said that it reminded me of the last mayoral election and one of the candidates said something to the, this effect, Atlanta is not Wakanda, but it could be. Right. Mm, so Atlanta yes. is a city that has had black leadership in the city council and in the in the mayor's office for 40 plus years. Why are these stats what they are in a city like Atlanta? That's a very good question. The fact of the matter is. Each of these issues does not function in a vacuum. They require multiple key stakeholders all moving in the same direction to move the needle. So even though you may have Black control over, let's say, a budget or in the case of the school system, you know, the city does not control right. the school, though, but you still probably had a majority um, board members and so on and superintendents. Um, at the end of the day, it, there's a combination that has to occur. Financial resources, um, thought leadership that is moving in the direction it needs to, and the will to make change. And I just have to believe that, you know, here's, here's the thing. I want to be clear that while the report puts more emphasis on the deficits, we have had tremendous progress. We have had wins. Um, but 
until the majority of black people are living well, we're still not there. So in Atlanta, we've had, um, this is what many call the Mecca and with good reason. We have more uh, college graduates. We have more black uh, millionaires. Those are all the great sides, but the disparity between those of us who are okay and those of us who are not is, is very deep and it's very wide. And if all of the other uh, state and federal laws and systems were more equitable, even the ones doing well would be better. We probably have more billionaires instead of millionaires. Uh, we simply know that um, we're, we're right now uh, kicking off a new initiative to train black appraisers. I didn't know this and I, I just wasn't focused on it, but um, we've seen study after study where um, if a black household is appraised with photos of black the black family throughout, the appraisal comes in much lower, not a little lower, much lower than with a whitewashed, as they call it, home. Right. And that happened very recently. And the difference was like $400,000. Now, multiply that by the number of appraisals that are taking place across this country over the past 200 years years, we've lost billions of wealth intentionally. And that's just in housing appraisals. We're not talking about uh, blocking from accessing quality education, which would have given us livable wages, access to capital. The good news about Atlanta is, you know, we're one of the fastest growing communities for Black entrepreneurs. But when you look at investment capital for 2021, less than 1% of the investment capital nationwide went to black businesses. So everything yeah. drives off the money. Right. I, I look, This was one stat from the report. Black founders raised two of the $216 billion in venture capital funding across the country. Now, on, on it, if you just saw the $2 billion, you'd say, wow, that, that sounds pretty good. But when you realize it's only 1% of the total. Right. That should be one city. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So you're talking about black wealth in Atlanta and, and across the country, but particularly in Atlanta and in Georgia. What is the role of the black upper middle to wealthy class? When it comes to this conversation. Significant. What should they be doing that is not happening now? I would like to see them more involved on the policy side. They are influencers. They, um, many of them are sophisticated. They write checks to candidates. They have access to the lawmakers. They have access to the governor. And I would like to see more of them um, take, a, take the, the bold step of, in an ideal world, collectively, because there's cover in collective action. Um, but we've got to be bolder and step up directly to the powers that be, the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, the, the 
leader of the, the House and the Senate, and talk about the fact that we're 32% of this population, and we're, the laws that are being passed are hurting us even more. Just last week, mandatory minimums are back. Right. We talked about that on the pod, just about all these, in retaliation to things like Cop City, you've got Republican lawmakers enacting incredibly tough penalties yes. on things that there's already a law on the books for. Yep. And there's no, there's little, I should say, public pushback from black folks who, black elite who get involved on campaigns, but have been very quiet on this. They have. And at least to the public eye, you know, it, I would love to find out that there are some private conversations going on. Um, I wonder if there were influences around the governor's pushback on Buckhead City. Uh, because I think so. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm saying. Some of this may be going on and we're not aware because a lot of people like to do things quietly. And that's okay with me as long as it's happening. But if you look at the moves that are being made, though, <laughs> there's a lot more moves moving in the wrong direction than moving in the right direction. Do you think that that will occur, that there will be this collective of elite, wealthy black people in Atlanta that say, we see this, we recognize there's a challenge and we're rolling up our sleeves to do something? Well, here's something I will say. Whenever the Urban League has called on those elite leaders, they've shown up. And I've had people say, we haven't come together like this in a while. And so our goal is to leverage that more with the report going into the future is to really push that from our perspective um, as, um, I, don't, I don't know if neutral is the right word, but an organization that um, plays it straight, I like to think, that we don't have... Um, we don't have a, 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 what's the thing? What's the term? A, a partisan, we're not partisan. Yeah, well, we're nonpartisan, but also, yeah, we want to, we need to grow to scale, but we're not a for-profit entity, right? Mm -hmm. So we're in this for the real reasons. Right. And I think most people will, you know, respect and appreciate that. But I think it's, it's let me, let me be clear. Um, Mark Morial, I was in New York last week with a number of CEOs with Mark Morial, and he and told Mark us. Mark Morial is the president of the National Urban that's League. That's right, National Urban League president. And he shared something I did not know, but he said there were 900 laws passed in the last 24 months to block the teaching of black history. Over the last decade, there have been 47 out of the 50 states have passed voter suppression laws. Um, there's this movement back toward mass incarceration. These things are happening simultaneously for a reason. And so what I hope will happen from this report and your continued podcast, we need to wake up. This is not moving in a direction that is safe for our children, 
for us, for even I look toward my retirement. I don't feel I'll be safe in Georgia, candidly. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'll be safe anywhere in this country if this movement isn't stopped right here, right now. What do you think is driving it? Fear. Fear the browning of, of America. It's yeah. it's it's reflected in this all of this welled up push against abortion. Mm -hmm. It's welled up in this push to stifle and eliminate black history. It's visible in the movement to suppress our vote. All of these things in the end, you look at other historical um, points in our history in this country, in the world, I feel we're moving toward uh, South Africa. Apartheid. Apartheid system, right? Mm -hmm. that's, where, that's where we could be heading. Because think about it. Black people are 32% of the state. Latinos are 10. That's 42. Right. Asians are about six. That's 48. We're there. Right. But the good news about that is, and this is what they know, with if we combine together, we have the same issues with whites that want to live from a, 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 a coexistent standpoint, we got enough power to flip this thing in a new direction. But I believe the, the, the strategy is keep as many people as possible unstable, off their kilter. They voting drops to, to a low point because they say nothing changes for me if I do. So, you know, you've got to fight that battle. What about the argument just on voting? What about the argument that black people should absolutely stop voting as a protest, particularly for Democrats, right? Black, black folks have traditionally been uh, the group of people that keep Democrats in power in cities and, and counties and to some extent at the federal level. So what would happen if black people just said, not this time, 2024, not this time. If you're not going to do these things, if you're not going to address health care, if you're not going to address the economy, if you're not going to address my ability to own a home, I'm not voting. Mm -hmm. uh, what will happen? Apartheid. Because what will happen is they will win even more control and power. They'll take the Senate back at the federal level. They'll expand their hold on the House. They'll take more state houses and governorships, and uh, we better be uh, looking for some dual citizenship and packing the bags. That's just <laughs> my personal. This yeah. is not an Urban League opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Disclaimer. Is, that's right. That's right. That's me. Um, I want to talk about health, which is one of the issues you all highlight in the report. It doesn't get talked about enough. Yes. Some interesting stats. Again, this is Georgia. This is a state of Georgia report. Georgia is 42nd in doctors per capita. We are 45th in the number of insured children. And then you, you went on to talk about social, social determinants of health, things that we've already talked about, housing, mm -hmm. transportation, where you live is a Work. determinant, right? Is all a determinant of your health, um, racism and discrimination. 
Um, other things you talked about, access to food and physical activity impacts your health. Uh, some other interesting things, the uninsured rate is the third highest in the country. And then it's even worse <laughs> in rural areas. So you talked about some of those like Albany, for example, compared to Atlanta. And then the last is that seven rural hospitals have closed in Georgia since 2013. And there are another seven that are vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? And there's ongoing debate right now in the state house and Senate about healthcare, expanding Medicaid, things of that sort. Why should people be paying attention to this? And what is missing in that where we know these facts, but nothing has been done, right? We've got a state that has continued to say, at least in the Republican leadership, although other Republican states are starting to get on board and expanding Medicaid. Why aren't we addressing these issues? Well, we don't have the power to. We don't have the power or the will in the elected officials that are in control right now. Clearly, you have to assume they don't care. There's no other way to put it. They prioritize, they prioritize um, the law that you can't, uh, I, I forget the term now, but there's certain things you can't discuss in the classroom. Right. They felt that was a top priority. Uh, the minimum wage <laughs> remains $5.15. That's not a priority. But we're number one for business out of all the 50 states for nine consecutive years, yet we're in the top states for poverty, the worst states for health, the worst states for education. And we just have this this same set of people getting reelected over and over again with that kind of scorecard. So do you think it would make a difference to maybe make the business case if like here's the here's the cost of being 42nd in this stat or 45th in this stat? Georgia Budget and Policy Institute has tons of studies and reports on why. Medicaid make expansion makes sense, job creation, health outcomes, ensuring 300,000 more Georgians, children, uh, the, the um, maternal health. This is not news to, to the individuals that were that had the power to change it. So, you know, I <laughs> why? I, we talk to legislators at the Capitol all the time, and I just feel a sense of hopelessness in them that they don't have the votes to make the difference. And there aren't enough people on the other side willing to listen to reason and understand that though you may have been voted in by a set of population, once you're elected, you represent all the Georgians in your district, not just the people who voted for you. Right. So we got to hold people accountable. So now that we know the stats, the report is out. What's next? So for Urban League, what's next for us is sharing the report widely. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, and getting boots on the ground again and going back across the state, meeting directly with people in communities across the state, 
um, to are there share specific, with them. Are there specific calls to action, like specific things you're asking for people to do? Yes. So one of the things, sections of the report is a call to action. And we actually break it down by key stakeholder groups. And we've, we've had some meetings, strategy sessions in the last week. You'll see added recommendations. This is a living report. That's one of the things I like about it being electronic. Um, but let's just start with Black folks. What can we do? So, you know, number one is we've got to reclaim our voting power. And what I mean by that is um, starting with everybody that has the the will and the know-how, you got to touch everybody in your sphere and just make sure everybody's registered and they understand how the state works. So one of the things Urban League is doing, we're launching a Civics 101 class and we're going to start doing it as a webinar and we're going to fan it across the state and make it accessible across the state and just really show people the connections between what we've been talking about and how things could change. We need more people to run. We've got to have more people. Uh, and I'm not talking about Democrats um, or whatever your platform, progressive, independent, Democrat, Republican, rare, but I guess that's possible, that has the right platforms in place and willing to fight for all people. Because um, anything that helps us is going to help everybody. Right. And the, the economics of it are, have always been clear. Um, I mean, when you just think about it, we're 32% of the population. There's something like $20 billion in the surplus right now. And we get we don't get our fair share of the dollars. I know we don't contribute probably 32% to the coffers, but we contribute a significant amount to the coffers. And we're not getting a return on that investment. So think about it. This is our money. It's not these elected officials' money alone. It's the people's money. Mm -hmm. And it's not going where I think most people want it. Now, I will tell you this, too. Um, there are a lot of people who are going along to get along. We talked about that on a couple weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Black. Yeah. And white Correct. and a, a Latino and Asian. Um, they're OK. So they're OK with things yeah. being bad. For yeah. Many. I mean, I, I've had I've had people say to me, like, I, I got mine. Like, I'm good financially. I'm trying to make sure my kids are set. Well, you know, in the end, though, even those with education and wealth on the social justice side, your kid could be driving down the road right. and end up like right. so many others. Right. It's not going to matter. So you should care. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It happens. What? Not that I'm wishing that on anybody's no, no, kid. No, I, I, no, no. We're, we're with you on that. Yes. What, um, if, if you could ask Governor Kemp to just do one thing mm. related to this report, Right. He's a governor. He's got executive power. What would that be? So many things. So, so many things. I guess what would. Oh, it's tough. I'm going to have to give you three things. 
knew I'm you were sorry. Gonna do, I knew you were going to do They're it. all equal, but I'm going to say first, invest more in public education. Invest more in public education. That's where our kids are. That's where poor rural white kids are. And, um, you know, the fact that our, our, our students are only 64% are not ready to read, their future is doomed to a life of poverty or prison. It's just no other way. Um, so I would invest, say, change the formula for funding education and invest more in education. And I guarantee you, Governor, the state's GNP and all the other economic indicators are going to boom as a result. But I could also say, do more business with black businesses. The state does document it less than 1% with black businesses. So those wealthy blacks that, you yeah. know, and say in comparison, the city of Atlanta is in the 2030 range. Marta is in the 2030, maybe even 35 range. Exactly. And doing, doing well. But we've got a movement to take over the airport, which is where the bulk of the cities right. go. So that could crumble. Right. That's volatile. And then health. Because, you know, you got it. Those three are critical. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough. Um, and then, oh, don't forget this. Uh, landlords have just have free reign to just wreak havoc families right now. Yeah, we did at Atlanta Civic Circle, we did some research, I think last year, I want to say on the number of people in the state legislature who were landlords. Whoa. And it's incredibly high. It's got to be. Yeah. Yep. So not only are, are the rents high, but the properties are uninhabitable. Right. A family sent me a picture of um, termites literally oozing out from the bottom of a column in the home. Right. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Forest Cove, which happened in Atlanta, which I yes. think is one of the most, is one of the saddest housing stories in Atlanta. It feels like something you would see on like The Wire or some TV show. Yeah. It's just it's where real. they have been failed by the system at every single level. At every level. Yeah. Yep. So so those are your, your three tasks for the governor. No, what I is, could go on and on. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> what is what's the question that's not being asked in this conversation about the state of Black Georgia? What's missing in the conversation? What are we doing for ourselves? What can we do? What must we do? Um, black people have more power than we're using, I think, and more um, ability to change things. So I'm going to call for unity. Let's start there. All right. Let's lean into Can one I get another. that UNITY track? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need unity. Yeah. And I hope that this will be another um, outcome of the report, taking it around, because all the leaders across state said, you know, we want to know the other leaders in our region. We want to share information. So one of the things we'll do is we will convene um, the bodies, the leaders across the state. Not sure what I'm going to we'll call it yet, but you'll see that coming. And here's the other thing I would say to the governor. $2.4 trillion 
are about to be spent across four major bills that have been passed under the Biden administration. Uh, Roads and bridges, infrastructure, anti-inflation, it's got all kinds of stuff in it. You've got uh, uh, chips and science opportunities. And then I think broadband is the fourth one. We're going to start hosting webinars for black leaders to understand these dollars are going to be spent. If the governor and this state legislature wanted to address the majority of those horrific statistics that really is a report card on them, they would ensure that as these dollars are deployed, they are deployed in a way that all the citizens of Georgia benefit and more in an equitable conversation ought to align with Biden's Justice 40 executive order to put 40% of those dollars invested in black and brown communities. Um, If not, the wealth gap's going to get wider. Right. Just made me think about, there's a lot of conversation about, is Biden really doing anything for black people? I think there seems to be a disconnect between what the administration is doing and the public perception. I think the Democratic Party has had a uh, marketing and communications problem for a long, long time. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) Yes, right. Um, But, you know, we were at the White House um, two weeks ago with the legislative policy. You caught that little light flex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the president popped in to talk to us. And, you know, um, just what I personally, as Nancy Blake Johnson came away with was here's a man who really is trying to do the right thing. And the things he talked about and the executive orders he has, you know, put in place. I don't think a lot of people know about Justice 40. Uh, Of course, the problem is an executive order doesn't have any teeth, really. Uh, But um, it would never pass. Right. It wouldn't pass Congress. It wouldn't pass, no. And we got a lot of bills that are out there that with this Congress, you know, the John Lewis Act, the uh, George Floyd, good pieces of legislation that are right, that won't see the light of day. And we've got that happening at the state capitol. I mean, raising the minimum wage from $5.50, it's not even on the agenda. Neither is Medicaid expansion. So many other things, more investments in education. It's just not there. So all I'm saying to people is, uh, (laughs) where are we going to stand and what are we going to do in future elections? Now you know the story. Out of the hundred and what is it, fifty nine counties, mm-hmm. like a hundred and thirty of them are in economic distress. This is the report card of the current administration. Is this what we want more of? Yeah, yeah, that's real. That's right. And so we get what we get. So if we don't do anything, so what's not there? We have to care, and I know we do. I just think so many of us are so overwhelmed with the struggle, which is the intention of it all to keep us off kilter. But right now we know what we know. 
let's just say, look, y'all, focus. Let's come together. Let's lean in and let's do this thing as a collective and lock arms with our Latino, Asian, white, uh, everybody that is out here together. There's more of us who want this thing called America to work the way it is supposed to than not. But if we don't get tight right now, it's, it's going to keep getting worse. That stat, net worth zero by 2053, we won't even make it to 2053. I think I'm going to leave it right there. Okay. Nancy Flake Johnson from the <laughs> Urban League of Great Atlanta. Thank you for being on the pod, for sharing your wisdom and enlightening us on this very incredible, uh, very needed report on the state of Black Georgia. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. Appreciate it. You are tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. This is one that you've got to share with people. Go ahead and hit that share button. Send it to your friends. Send it to your family. Send it to your coworkers. Better yet, send it to your CEO. All right, y'all. As always, thank you for listening. Peace out. Hi, I'm Nancy Flake Johnson, President and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. And I want you to go to our website at www.ulgatl.org and download your copy of the State of Black Georgia Report, A Tale of Two States. Folks, we have to unify. We have to take action. When you read the conditions that are facing too many of our community across this state, you've got to be moved to action. So go to the back of the book, it's called Calls to Action, and wherever you fit, there's all kinds of ways for you to make a difference. Join us. We're the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Let's move the needle together. <laughs>